Global supply chain and logistics industry leaders gather, connect, and exchange ideas at IHS Market's annual TPM conference organized by the JOC. In our new podcast series, Beyond TPM, we keep those conversations going, taking a deep dive into critical, rapidly evolving topics and the insights uncovered this year at TPM 21. I'm Alessandra Barrett, the JOC's Senior Editor for Special Projects. Today I'm speaking with Dominic O'Brien, Marketing Manager for Philipport, the Port of Philadelphia. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. I am quite thrilled to have you here uh, because Philipport has a great story. Of your East Coast competitor ports, you were the only one that saw container growth last year. The AAPA figures put it at approximately 6%. So what was going on behind the scenes? Well, let me let me brag a little, little more even. Uh, we had the best growth in the country, according to AAPA. And uh, we are proud of that. It was the great work of our terminal operators, labor, the whole port community. A lot of it was food. Even in a pandemic, people want to eat healthy. And a lot of it was forest products. We do over a million tons a year. We do medical supplies. So they, they were the main drivers of our growth over the past year. When you look at how across the country, certainly the medical demand is not the same as it was last year, and consumer spending patterns are returning somewhat to where they traditionally would be, how are you expecting that to impact your volumes this year? Well, first of all, we're, we're not assuming we'll be first in the country again. We've seen how some of these other ports are growing. And uh, as things get back to normal, we do not expect to be leading the pack, although I hope we will. With food cargoes, even though some consumer patterns are changing, the trend over the past 10 years, 20 years, has been the increased demand of the American consumer for healthy products from around the world. They want the best in the world, and they want it regardless of season. And because we're so good at supplying that, we're optimistic that that is a long-term upward slope. The Forest products also, as, as people are doing do-it-yourself at home, as, as the housing market booms, we've seen increases in, in, in forest products. We expect that to continue for a good long while. And you know some of our other areas are also doing well, autos and some of the liquid bulk. So we're optimistic, although we don't think the numbers will be quite as impressive compared to our peers. That ongoing sort of longer term shift in food consumption is a really interesting one. From where you are, any micro trends that you've been seeing in perishable cargo and produce? Well, here's an interesting one. I've been down to Peru a couple of times. Our growth with Peru has been incredible. We're the number one port in the USA for Peruvian food. And uh, those numbers have just been really booming. And part of that is they've got some great investment that's come in and they've built big modern farms. They've got the top agro scientists. They've learned from the Chileans. and So they've been doing real well. But when I've been down there, one of the things they're excited about are some of the Amazonian superfoods not just the quinoa, but other types of specialized fruits and grains that have real health potential. And they're they're beginning to develop them more. And those, we are optimistic, will go on the same ships that are bringing the fruit up to Philly. How does the cost of lumber and the fluctuation that we've seen there, how's that impacting your forest products? Let me say, first of all, we have a, a real diversity in the forest products segment. We have a lot of pulp coming in from Brazil, 
Brazilian eucalyptus pulp comes into our Tioga Marine Terminal. We have exports of Pennsylvania logs, good solid Pennsylvania hardwood logs that are going out. We have lumber, we have waste paper, we have, uh, you know, other moldings and things for the housing industry. So we have a lot of different products. They've all been showing solid numbers and we're optimistic that will continue. You're right. It won't, the, the, the boom in, how, in the housing market and housing construction won't continue forever. But with that diversity of forest products, uh, we're optimistic we'll continue to have good growth and solid numbers. Taking a larger step forward, what's your forecast for volumes for the next three to five years? Well, you know, a lot of it depends on global economic kind of macro picture numbers that are beyond our control. A lot of it could come down to trade agreements. We are in the process of getting some additional ocean carrier services. And if we get those, our numbers could really boom. So there's a lot of variables out there that are beyond our control, but we have invested uh, heavily in infrastructure. We are prepared for growth. We're expecting growth and we're optimistic the trends uh, of the past few years will continue. Cargo diversity is a tried and true strategy for growth, and it certainly has been a hallmark of the port over the years. Could you speak a bit just to where your thoughts are now, in particular around cargo diversity as a driver for Philly growth. Yeah, we have our Tioga Marine Terminal. I'm look, looking across the street at it now from my office. Does break bulk, does the eucalyptus pulp. Atlantic Roro calls there, bringing in cargoes from Russia. And they get all kinds of other ships with pipe and, and other break bulk commodities. There's some project cargoes that come through Tioga. We have our Pier 7880 that do, does forest products with break bulk, big rolls of paper from, from Finland and uh, other Scandinavian countries. They also do some, some poster board and some uh, other construction lumber materials. We have our Pier 84, which is cocoa beans, which does a lot of bagged break bulk cocoa from West Africa. We have our auto facility, which is really doing well. We have Hyundai and Kia in there and, uh, and room to grow with our auto facility. That's our Southport auto facility that we built a $120 million facility down there, state-of-the-art vehicle processing center, good connections with rail. So, oh, and liquid bulk. We're doing well with liquid bulk, both at our Pier 179 and also down at Pier 124. So we do have a diversity of cargoes. That's been a conscious choice. We are obviously trying to grow the container segment. That's been a main focus, but these other areas are doing well and we expect them to continue to do so. We can hear that busyness behind you right now. <laughs> Sorry about that. Philly's had some pretty major DC activity in the last year or so. And obviously that's a strong piece of the reefer growth. What's happening there? Sure, this is a, an area of great optimism for us. Developers have begun to put up a lot of warehousing, and this was over the past couple of years, but it's accelerating now, especially in southern New Jersey, which is closer to Philadelphia than other ports, central Pennsylvania, which is our hinterland. And recently, there's been the huge Hillco development in the city of Philadelphia at an old oil refinery, and there has been the big new North Point development which will be up to 25 million square feet of new distribution center space just north of Philadelphia in the old Fairless Hills Steelworks. 
And so with all of this distribution center capacity coming on, we're optimistic that being the closest port to these DCs will have a good shot at getting the cargo. And it's not just these big kind of headline projects. There's been all kinds of other refurbishment of, of distribution centers. So that's happening in the dry sector. And then in addition, in the reefer sector, these folks have always been important to us and they're investing. They see the investment we're putting in. As you know, we've talked about this with the JOC before, $400 million channel deepening project, $300 million port development program, hundreds of millions in road and rail improvements. Our partners in the cold supply chain have observed this, and they have invested to match their expectations of increased capacity. They know we're going to be growing, and so they have increased the size of their refrigerated and freezer warehousing throughout the greater Philadelphia region. Let's look at meat. When imported meat comes into the country, it has to go to a U.S. Department of Agriculture approved reinspection warehouse. We call these I-houses. North Jersey has a couple of them. Southern California has a couple of them. We have 13 of them. It's more than any other area. Why? Because we are such a gateway for meat. Similarly, huge capacity in refrigerated warehousing for all the fruit coming in. The Delaware River Port Complex is number one in the USA for produce. We do $3.8 billion of produce a year comes up our river, and, and that needs to go into cold warehousing. And it's not just the warehousing. These facilities, these repack facilities, can take the fruit from South America. They can do quality control. They can bag it or put it on pallets or put it in clamshells, depending on the needs of the receiver, of the, of the grocer, or of the, the, the consumer. And these services are very important. The exporters, mostly from South America and Central America, but really all over the world, those folks want those services. The U.S. retailers want those services. And it's basically getting it from the port, getting it to a facility, inspecting it, doing quality control, rebagging or repacking, labeling, and then getting it to the customer. And we've got some folks who are really good at that, and they have been investing a lot of money in, in expanding their facilities and expanding that capacity. So back to my curiosity about microtrends for a minute. Anything interesting going on in inspections or packing? Any technology that your partners in the perishable space are exploring? Well, you know, we're going to be interested to see how last mile plays out. That's affecting every port in the country. But it has caused supply chain folks to really re-examine what they're doing. To the degree they were using a specific port just because of inertia or tradition, it's causing them to kind of re-examine. And to the degree they do that, Philadelphia can get in the mix. So we're optimistic about that. In terms of technologies, certainly we end up being a test site for a lot of the cold technology. The ocean carriers come to us, our, our colleagues at the Packer Avenue Marine Terminal especially, and they will work with them on new technologies, tracking and tracing, monitoring devices, communications devices. The goal is that the customer over in Europe or in Japan or wherever can sit at their desk and have a really good picture of what's going on with their fruit on the dock at the Packer Avenue Marine Terminal at any time. And we're getting there. As those improvements are made, they're often initiated in Philadelphia. 
just because of our strength in the cold supply chain, and also because of the cooperation between the different links in the cold supply chain in Philly, between the marine terminal and the truckers and the warehouse folks and the fumigators, and all of those links work well together. So we are a good location to do these trial uh, technologies and initiate these new systems from the lines and the forwarders and the shippers. You mentioned the hinterland. What are your expectations about the future of development in the Lehigh Valley? Well, the Lehigh Valley is booming. And, you know, not just the DCs, but manufacturing. And it depends where you're talking about in the Lehigh Valley. Originally, it was, it was Easton. It was over closer to New York. But as the development expands south and west, that's coming into our territory. And we become the closest port and the best gateway to get to the Lehigh Valley. We have good trucking routes. We know the folks up there. It's the same state. We get up there regularly. We're part of the, 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 the trade associations. They know us. And so the links are strong and we're optimistic as the whole Lehigh Valley phenomenon shifts west and south that we will be the preferred gateway to get there. We couldn't get a complete picture of where the port is right now if we didn't talk a bit about the remarkable capital investments that you've all undertaken, certainly the dredging, but also other investments that are positioning the port well for expansion. Let's just lay some groundwork with highlights of the investment projects and their status. Yes. So the channel deepening is obviously the big one, and that will allow us to handle the same size ships as some of the bigger ports. We also have new cranes. That was uh, from a couple of years ago, but we have the Super Post Panamax cranes. We've done work along the berth. So we're all ready for the bigger ships. We handled a 12,200 TEU ship and we can handle over 15,000 TEUs. And we have also built new warehousing in South Philadelphia. We've built new warehousing at the Tioga Marine Terminal right across the street. We're building another new warehouse in South Philly. And we are improving the road and rail access down there just to, just to make it faster out of the terminal onto the highway. You know, every port right now is suffering from equipment issues and congestion issues, but even as this works its way through, we have good communication between the terminal operators and the supply chain service providers. We are working with our friends at the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation for better highway access. We're going to be doing improvements to I-95 to provide better access to the terminals. And we are also in the process, we've gotten the permitting for new berthing down in the Southport area. So a lot of money has been spent. If you look at the $400 million for channel deepening, $300 million in our port development project, road and rail, you're looking at about a billion dollars of infrastructure investment. And then if you look on the river as a whole, the other ports, that's about another billion. So we're talking $2 billion in infrastructure investment. That's, that's serious investment. And we are confident that will allow us to have the infrastructure and the equipment to be ready for bigger ships and significant cargo growth. You mentioned that communication piece, which is key to any growth and was especially important last year. Philly is known for its personal touch, the phone call back, the close relationship among stakeholders. What's the history there? And also, how did that play out last year? 
Yeah, so that is a big advantage. And I think it originates in the produce trade where fruit won't wait. And so the fruit supply chain especially depends on effective communication, a real high level of trust, experience working together with all the links in the supply chain to move that fruit quickly. And we extend that cooperation, that communication, that trust to other cargoes. And it has worked real well over the past year and a half. And, you know, partly it's these are some of them are family companies that are multi-generational. And these folks know each other, they trust each other. And you've been down to Philly, you've seen how close-knit we are with some of the trade organizations. Definitely. And it's uh, it's provided a real ability to get things done in a crisis. And that is extended to our counterparts at the federal government. You know, early in, in the pandemic, we were on with U.S. Customs and with the U.S. Coast Guard, working on ways we could improve systems and go paperless. And I was very proud of that. I was proud of their trust in us to consult with us. I was proud of the ability of the Philadelphia port community to work effectively and safely and proactively with our federal partners. And we really did well. And thankfully, there were very few ill effects of COVID in terms of productivity. We suffered as did the rest of the country with the, with the pandemic. But in terms of, of cargo moving, we, we kept it going. Where are you looking to grow? Any emerging commodities areas um, where you're looking for expanded service? Well, we would love to get a direct service from the Mediterranean. A lot of fruit there and produce there that would, would be a great addition to our strengths in that category. Recently in South Africa, the, the entire Cape opened up and we now have a year-round service that was traditionally a, a seasonal service. You know, coming inland for a minute, we have a new service with CN, Canadian National Railway, that gives two-day service to Toronto and two and a half to Montreal. And that was geared to the produce trade, all this food coming in, they can bring it quickly up to Canada. And we are working on getting an Asian service, especially with the congestion at some of the other ports. We are certainly being looked at for an Asia service and continue to grow our, our strong ties with Latin America. Over half our cargo comes from Central and South America, and some of those economies are, are really doing well down there. They're growing, and as their middle classes go, they're going to want more cargoes from the U.S., and as their agro-sciences improve and their farmers work on their techniques, we're going to have more high-quality produce coming out of Latin America and also other cargoes. We've been talking to some folks down there about seafood and beef. So there's a lot of opportunities to grow, especially the food trade, textiles, forest products. So what are your thoughts on the impact of tariffs in these plans? Right. Well, tariffs hurt every port. And we are hopeful that as President Biden has uh, talked with his European counterparts, you may have read in the news, there was issues about tariffs on metals and aluminum. That would impact us because we do handle those cargoes. Also, fruits, previous administration put a 25% tariff on European fruit, and we are hopeful if that's eliminated, uh, we'll have a better chance at getting a med service. Right, and Philly's been doing more with liquid bulk. How does that fit in with the growth plans? 
Yeah, isotanks, we call them. They're the kind of liquid bulk tanks that are within a unitized structure, like a container. They can move on a container ship. And uh, there's a facility in South Jersey, the SMS Rail, that does a real good job on those. It can do the entire process. So it can bring in liquid bulk, say chemicals, for example, or food products by rail, transload them into the isotank, get the isotank to the port, get the isotank back, clean it, repair it, monitor it, and then dry it wherever. So they provide a lot of the services there. And so they've seen really good growth with some of the larger isotank customers. And we're optimistic that that, that can be a growth segment. Philly has always been strong in chemicals and also in food products. And, and both of those can work with isotanks. So given all of this, what will the port look like in 10 years? We are optimistic that we'll be towards a million TEUs a year or more. And we'll have new facilities in South Philadelphia. We are in an acquisition mode. The Delaware River Basin is already one of the top 10 port complexes in the USA. Uh, It's undeniable that distribution centers are moving closer to the Port of Philadelphia. And we expect this, this core reality to continue. As ocean carriers and shippers realize that shipping via the same old ports out of inertia or tradition, it doesn't make sense given modern supply chain demands. And so Philly will be more and more in the mix and the port of choice. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for sitting down with me today, Dominic. It was great to catch up. Alessandra, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Beyond TPM is a production of the JOC, part of the Maritime and Trade Division of IHS Market. For more news, analysis, and business intelligence for all things shipping and logistics, visit JOC.com and follow us on social media.